You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. for so many of us can feel like a grasping at smoke, particularly around the, the holiday season when the unique worries and anxieties of Christmas time find their foothold, when the brokenness of broken relationships is oftentimes all the more felt. And yet the, the story of Christmas is a story that declares to us that peace is not elusive, but rather that peace is promised in the coming of Jesus. We just read it, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Here it is, Prince of Peace. Right At the time of Jesus' birth, it was the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, a peace promised by the great Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time. The great nephew of Julius Caesar, having come to power in defeating Antony and Cleopatra, a man worshipped by many, the name Augustus meaning holy, a title reserved only for the gods prior to his reign. In fact, he was referred to by many as the son of the divine. One inscription from his reign declaring, and I quote, the birthday of the God has marked the beginning of the good news, the gospel for the world proclaimed to be the savior of the people with his promises of peace, a peace that could only be established through taxation, oppression, and forced loyalty, mind you, which helps to explain why Mary with child and Joseph found themselves traveling to Bethlehem, a mandated registration by the Roman government having been instituted for the purposes of taxing the people, Bethlehem being the hometown of Joseph's ancestors, the city of David. That's how Luke chapter two begins, with the decree of the great Caesar Augustus who thought himself something of a God, the son of the divine, good news for the world, the savior of the people with his promises of peace, making the announcement of the birth of Christ all the more fitting, the heralding of the angel to the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. An angel of the Lord appearing, not to those with greatest political power, not to those with most, the most expansive religious pedigree, but to the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, the outcasts of society considered unclean because of their inability to observe the ceremonial law. A group of ordinary shepherds in the midst of their ordinary lives The angel declaring in the midst of the reign of the great Caesar Augustus, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's look at those words, for unto you. A bunch of filthy, ceremonially unclean shepherds communicating something of the immeasurable riches of God's grace. Famous words of the apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter one For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For unto you, the story of Christmas is the story of God's wondrous mercy and grace, that should we boast, we might boast in Christ alone. For unto you is born this day, that the story of Christmas is the story of someday becoming this day, Christmas is not some fable. It's a true story rooted in human history with real names and real places. That if the Christmas story was a fable, our ultimate aim would be to to figure out the moral of the story, the lesson learned that we might implement into our lives to make them a little bit better, which would make Christmas ultimately about what you and I do or don't do. The God of the Bible, nothing more than some divine elf on the shelf. There's a difference between the moral of the story and the heralding of the historic. The Christmas story, it's the heralding of something true, something that's happened outside of us to bring about our rescue from sin and death, a story that actually happened and is still happening. It's the truest of fairy tales, making it different from all other fairy tales. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That from a human perspective, it it seems as though Jesus was born in Bethlehem solely for political reasons due to a census established by the great Caesar Augustus. And yet, from a divine perspective, God had it planned all along to show something of his promise-keeping sovereignty, his promise-keeping faithfulness, his promise-keeping power. Communicating, too, again, something of the immeasurable riches of his grace, his lavish grace toward us. Those of us who, like Bethlehem, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, given the name Jesus, the name that is above every name, Philippians 2.9, from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. As we're told in Matthew's gospel account, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As I've said a number of times this time of year, the story of Christmas is a story declaring not the hope of intrinsic lovability or moral fiber, but of God's unmerited favor towards sinners in Christ. That Christmas is not the celebration of self-rescue, but the celebration of Jesus, our rescuer. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ meaning anointed one, God's promised Messiah, going all the way back to that first promise in Genesis 3. Lord, a declaration of his kingship as we cannot receive Christ our Savior without bowing to Christ our King. 
a savior for the people, good news for the world, the son of the divine. What say you, Caesar Augustus, with your many titles of divinity? Can you rescue people from their sins? Can you bring true and lasting peace? The kind that comes not through oppression and forced loyalty, because Jesus can. In Caesar Augustus, you have a man clawing to become a God. In Jesus Christ, you have the true God who became man. That we might know true peace, true salvation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Moving into verse 12 of Luke chapter 2. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Then in the Old Testament, when, when God made a promise to his people, he would oftentimes provide a sign to assure them of its reliability as he knows the fickle nature of our hearts and our need for reassurance. How could the shepherds rest assured that, that this savior was for them? What kind of sign would, would make sense for a bunch of society's outcasts? How about a helpless baby lying in a smelly stable? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, not a baby wrapped in fine linen, linens and lying in a king's palace, Rather, a baby in humble wrappings lying among the feeding troughs of Bethlehem. That the gap that we could never bridge to God, God has bridged that gap himself. And he did so in such a way as to communicate that all are welcome. From the dirtiest of blue collar shepherds to the most pagan of astrologers. What's the appropriate response to such a wondrous and glorious heralding of the, the hope of Christmas? Verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Myriads of angels, all doing what anyone and everyone should do when brought face to face with the wonder of Christmas. They sing because again, going back to last week, the gospel is and must be a musical. It's not enough to say what God has done in Christ. It must be sung. Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's the appropriate response to the heralding of the birth of Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's glory, our peace. That's the song of Christmas. In the words of one writer, these are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God. Peace ever descending from God to man. Peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. It's a peace that can only be known in receiving Jesus. It's a peace that can only be known in believing God's promises. First and foremost, peace with God, which is our greatest need for peace. We sing it every Christmas. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. What kind of peace? God and sinners reconciled. There's a Caesar Augustus in all of us. That's part of the message of Christmas. All of us guilty in some capacity of building our own little kingdoms, like Caesar, like Herod. And God showed his love for us 
in the sending of his son that we might not only know peace with God, but the God of peace. We saw this when we studied the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter one, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus, the fullness of God, the eternal God who without ceasing to be God became flesh. The miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas, that the tiny hands of the newborn Jesus might someday receive the nails of crucifixion from the cradle to the cross, that we might know the gift of peace with God. And it truly is a gift and that all we can do is receive it by faith. As Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There it is, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, it's not a gift that we earn, rather a gift that we receive by faith. Tim Keller writes, there has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the death of the son of God himself could save us. Friendship, intimacy, and peace with the living God where there was once only alienation and hostility. From the father's face, a light of reconcilement shining. A gift that that we can only know by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. One of the many wonders of Christmas, we'll get into more in the weeks to come. God and sinners reconciled through Jesus Christ. It's a gift that keeps on giving as peace with God opens the door for a growing experience of peace within. As Paul famously says in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I would ask each of us this morning, what what is it that makes you anxious? What is it that consumes your thoughts in moments of unsettledness? Is it your children? Is it your finances? Perhaps your marriage? Maybe it's your health. Maybe your career. Right? It wouldn't be the song of Christmas without the lyric of God and sinners reconciled, and yet neither would it be the song of Christmas without the lyric of God guarding the hearts and minds of his redeemed with his peace. A peace that comes in believing in trusting in God and his promises. As Paul says elsewhere, Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Here it is, in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That God fills us with peace as we believe, as we trust in him and his promises in Christ. 
which just seems fitting, doesn't it? Because Christmas without believing is no Christmas at all. Cast your anxieties on him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, believing that he cares for you. He has the scars to prove it. Peace with God and peace within. And with those glorious gifts, a responsibility to live as peacemakers, as agents of reconciliation. As another of the many songs we sing every Christmas, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Has implications for all kinds of relationships, all kinds of situations in need of peace, in need of reconciliation, in need of healing within the household of faith and on the everyday mission field of life. Again, Keller writes, peacemakers are people who, through making peace with God, have finally learned how to admit flaws and weakness, how to surrender their pride, how to love without the need to control every situation. These new skills have enormous power to diffuse conflicts, to facilitate forgiveness and reconciliation between people. He goes on to say, Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, he says, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace, both with God and between people across the face of the world. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, it couldn't touch our hearts, but the peace of Jesus can. Peace with God, peace within, peace with others. These we can know and, and experience even now because Jesus entered into the slums of our world. In that sense, the season of Advent inviting us to, to look back in joyful celebration on the gifts of Christmas past, the many promises fulfilled, the many hopes met in the first coming of Jesus. And yet, it reminds us that we live in the already and not yet time in between. Going back to last week, that we're not unlike God's people in the Old Testament in the sense that we long for something better something future, right? Most of us not naive enough to, to think that we've experienced our last anxious thought, that we'll never again know what it is to have an unsettledness of mind and heart. Most of us not naive enough to think that we can fix every broken relationship, that we can fit the, the square peg of peace through the round hole of a heart unwilling to receive it. The Apostle Paul himself said, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. A reminder that we're not in control any more than Caesar Augustus was. But we've been reconciled to a God who is in control. God who's not removed from our weary world, but who entered into our weary world and experienced it for himself a God who's sympathetic to our sorrows and sufferings, a God who knows from the inside what it is to live outside of Eden, a God to use this theme of peace who knows the distress and agony of Gethsemane, a God who still bears the scars of those who rejected his offer of peace. 
a God of his word, a God in whom we can trust because his promises always come true. Coming back to Isaiah chapter nine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He goes on to say, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christ, the the prince of peace, meeting our need for rest in this restless, broken world until he someday returns to set all things right, wiping away every trace of hostility, division, and restlessness. That's a glorious happily ever after to come. The hearts of the reconciled, redeemed, fully and finally happy in Jesus. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, Isaiah writes. The word zeal mean, meaning to become intensely red. It's a burst of emotion, like a, a husband's jealousy for the love of his bride. A description of God's passion for his own glory and the eternal peace of his people. God was zealous to send his son the first time. God's light of peace and reconcilement dawning in the birth of Jesus Christ. With that same zeal, God will send his son again to consummate his eternal kingdom of reconciliation and peace. What's the appropriate response to our time in the scriptures this morning? It's to join in with the song of the angels, declaring glory to God in the highest. In a moment, we're gonna gonna do that. We're gonna sing together, fill up this space with our voices. Don't let that get lost on you. As I mentioned last week, maybe stop for like five to 10 seconds and just listen around you to the song of of God's reconciled, redeemed, joining in with the myriads of angels to bring him glory. Again, God's glory, our peace. We lay down our glory, something that Caesar Augustus failed to do, to give God his due, his glory. Story of Christmas, it's about his glory, it's about our hope and our peace, and as we'll get into in the weeks to come, the love and joy that are a part of this story too. We also have an opportunity over these last few songs to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to take of the bread and the cup, at least not until you've turned to Jesus in repentance and trust for the forgiveness of your sins that you would know the peace of reconciliation with your creator, that you would know him as redeemer too. If you are a Christian, we, as many of you know, take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and we dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. There are communion stations on either side of the stage. There's a gluten-free station in the back corner there. As you prepare to receive of those elements, Perhaps open up to Colossians chapter one again, verses 19 through 22. Sit with those words. The reminder that peace between us and God has been established by the blood of Christ's cross. That you can know that light of reconcilement shining in your direction. The Father's love 
peace with God because of that broken body and shed blood of Jesus for you. Before we sing, I want to give some space, and James will unpack this in a moment, for you to just sit and not sing the words quite yet, but soak in this moment, this so what with God in light of our time in the scriptures. What is he inviting you into? Perhaps it's to to stop and pause just long enough to acknowledge that you've been made right with God in Christ. Perhaps it's to stop long enough to believe, to trust in God and his promises in Jesus that you might know that peace within that comes in believing. Perhaps it's a step toward someone else to make peace with some other brother or sister, someone outside of the kingdom even, to show the horizontal implications of this vertical reconcilement between us and God that's been established in Jesus. I don't know what the Lord has for each of us, but I just invite you to take time in that space to sit with the so what. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com.